This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Good morning. If you're staying in with us this morning, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you're going to Children's Church, uh, Deacon Bart over there will be leading the way for you in the exit on that side of the sanctuary. For the rest of us, if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Several men in the congregation spent this last week in Louisville, Kentucky at the Together for the Gospel Conference, or T4G, uh, as it's commonly known. Uh, The T4G is an every other year conference, and this was the last one. It started in 2006, and it had a good 16-year run, uh, but this was the last T4G. It's a conference uh, where we gather around the Word of God in fellowship uh, with singing and preaching and prayers. Uh, The conference was a little over two days. It was 10 hour-long sermons, five 30-minute sermons or devotionals, five discussion panels, and we sung 45 different songs. Uh, For anybody who's been there, you you know that the singing uh, is perhaps the best part of the conference. There were countless conversations that were had with friends old and new, and it was a great encouragement for the men who were there this week and an encouragement to my own soul. Uh, The reason I'm telling you this is because all of the uh, messages are online at t4g.org. Uh, Of all the messages, I want to commend five to you. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. I want to encourage you to go and listen to these messages, to feast on God's word in these messages, uh, and to be built up in Christ. Uh, The first one is Greg Gilbert. Greg Gilbert. Greg is a pastor at Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and he preached on humility from Philippians chapter 2. Secondly uh, is the Christian rapper, Shy Lynn, who's also a pastor at Del Rey Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. That's Shy Lynn. Uh, and he exhorted us to remember Jesus Christ from 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, third is a name you may be familiar with, uh, a man named John Piper. John Piper is the former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the current chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary. And he preached to us on the necessity of holiness, the necessity of holiness from 1 Peter chapter 2. Fourth is Christian Lawanda. Christian Lawanda, he is originally from Kenya, and he is currently the associate pastor at the Evangelical Community Church of Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. He had come all the way from the UAE to preach to us uh, on a various, uh, basically the whole Bible, but he focused on 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses, or chapter 3 and chapter 4. Christian Lawanda, I think that you will find uh, his sermon particularly encouraging. And then lastly is the last sermon of T4G, uh, preached to us by Ligon Duncan. Ligon Duncan is the chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, and he preached Christ to us from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Those five messages, I trust, will be an encouragement to your own soul as they were to ours uh, at the conference. We spent two and a half days at this conference with so many sermons, singing glorious songs and hymns and spiritual songs with 12,000 of our closest friends. And that will leave you quite tired and even joyful. And just so you know, as I was preparing the sermon for this week, I remembered that I also preached at our church in Northern Virginia on the Sunday after T4G in 2014. 2014. 
uh, I'll just have you know that that sermon was about an hour and ten minutes long. I promise you that that won't be the case today. (laughs) T4G has been a great encouragement to my own soul over the years. But on the way home, I was talking with one brother who pointed out to me that such a conference is not real life. Such a conference is not real life. It's not the day in and day out, the mundane reality of everyday life. And of course, he's right. T4G and every other conference like it, it's meant to be a retreat of sorts, meant to be a concentrated time spent growing in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. A conference like T4G is an incredible blessing, a great encouragement to the church of Jesus Christ. But as we have considered in Ephesians, the great purpose and plan of God is the gathering together of a people in the church, saints and faithful in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And so as wonderful as any conference or parachurch organization may be, it is this, this before you, the church of Jesus Christ, that is the real life of the Christian. And so in this letter, the Apostle Paul has labored to teach the Ephesians and to teach us that God's purpose of election and adoption and redemption are rooted in his predestined plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it's all to the praise of his glory. So the Apostle Paul has shown us that we as individuals are dead in sin apart from Christ, but we are also made alive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul has argued that God can make anyone, Jew or Gentile, a fellow heir, a member of the same body, and a partaker of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. This is lofty. This is grand. This is gracious realities. Beloved, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I confess how I can grow so familiar with these words that they don't seem like real life to me. These words of God through the Apostle Paul, they at times seem like words to be spoken at a conference, not words to be believed and lived and seen in our everyday lives. We so naturally want practical words of advice rather than authoritative words of life. We're so naturally concerned about the affairs of this life that we fail to see the purpose and the plan of God, not only for this life, but for the life to come. Our souls grow weary and troubled. No light in the darkness they see. We even fail to remember that Paul himself wrote these words of grandeur and grace from prison in Rome. So is it any wonder that after laboring to show us the grand and gracious plan and purpose of God in Jesus Christ, that Paul pauses. And in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul prays for us. Paul prays for us. And in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, Paul praises God for us. And so we will consider these verses, chapter 3, 14 through 21, In those two sections, Paul's prayer to God and Paul's praise to God. Paul's prayer to God and Paul's praise to God. So hear God's word from Ephesians chapter 3. This is God's word to you this morning. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray and ask God to be with us as we consider his word. Your word, O God, is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Your testimonies are the heritage of your church forever. They are the joy of our heart. So now we pray, O God, that you would incline our hearts to your word. Today and every day until glory, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, first, let's look at Paul's prayer. Let's look at Paul's prayer. In verse 14, Paul seems to pick up where he had left off in, earlier in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, and then in verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees. And so here, he seems to pick up the train of thought that he, he, he stopped in verse 1. We should be reminded that this reason that moves Paul to prayer here is the reality that God is uniting both Jew and Gentile, all peoples, in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Brothers and sisters, do you see the logic of Paul's actions here? He has just spent three chapters expounding this grand and gracious plan and purpose of God in Jesus Christ. And then Paul stops to pray that God will do all that he has purposed and planned. And so here Paul gives us a wonderful model of biblical prayer. We are to pray God's revealed will, God's revealed plans and purposes and promises back to him. So often our prayers are circumstantial. They're focused so much on the cares of this world and the circumstances of life. And certainly we should pray in the midst of our troubles. But more often, Paul's prayers are for strength to persevere through our circumstances, to accomplish the purpose and the plan of God in our lives. Oh, may our prayers be full of the promises and the purposes and the plans of God. Paul's prayer here is extraordinary. The, the prayer is six total verses in your Bible, but it really can be boiled down to verse 14 and verse 19. Verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Everything in between is Paul praying to God to accomplish that great end that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so at first blush, you may think to yourself, this is not a real-life prayer. This is a conference prayer. It's what we pray in Christianese whenever we're all gathered together in our conference settings. 
So if Paul came to our prayer meetings, and we asked him to pray, and he prayed this prayer, I wonder if we would be tempted to pull Paul aside after the prayer and say to him, Brother Paul, I really enjoyed your prayer. But, you know, you could have prayed for Miss So-and-so over here about any number of things, or Mr. So-and-so about any number of things. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God anyway? Brother Paul, I have to go to work tomorrow, and you know, I really need to be full of caffeine, or I may lose my religion. But think about what Paul has said God is doing. God is doing. God is subduing and uniting men and women, even in this room, from every nation, throughout all generations, in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has predestined to elect a people, to redeem sinners, to adopt a family, making us children of the Father, in the Son, and by the Spirit. This work of God will take the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in the church of God. And so here Paul prays the most practical of prayers when he bows his knee before the Father through the Spirit and in the love of Christ that you, church of God, may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so let us briefly consider Paul's prayer with these three observations about the Father's plan and the Spirit's power and the Son's passion. Paul prays that the fullness of the Father's plan would work through the Spirit's power, rooted and grounded in the Son's passion in the church. Paul bows his knee before the Father. Jews of his day were accustomed to praying while standing, But here the Apostle Paul bows in humility, a recognition of the authority of God the Father from whom every family, he says, or perhaps a better translation is the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. To name something is to exercise authority over that thing. Remember what God said to Adam whenever God created all the beasts of the field and he brought Adam and he said, Adam, name them. He had given Adam authority to take dominion over these animals by naming them. And here Paul reminds us that the whole family or every family in heaven and on earth is named by God the Father. Let me just make a comment that I don't think any certain prayer posture is prescribed in Holy Scripture. But certainly we would do well to in the very least model the heart posture of the Apostle Paul in our prayers, bowing in our hearts before God in acknowledgement of his authority over our lives. And perhaps we would even do well to model physically in our prayers that reality which is to come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of God the Father. Well, this peculiar phrase, from, from whom every family is named, or from whom all the whole family is named, is debated as to its meaning. Some scholars argue that this is a reference to the universal fatherhood of God, that God is the creator of everyone and of everything, and that's true enough. Others will argue that this is a reference particularly to the family of the redeemed, to the family of the redeemed in heaven and those who are on earth, those who bear the name of the family of God in the church. And I'm not sure that we have to choose one of those two options. It's true 
that God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and of everything, that he is the author of life, and so therefore has authority over all of life, including your life. If you're here this morning and you do not know that God is the father over you, that he has authority over your life, you need to know that now. God is the father of everyone and everything. But in the context of our letter, I do lean toward the second option, that here we have a reference that God is particularly the Father of the whole family of God. So when Jesus Christ prays, Father, Father, Abba, that that is a peculiar and unique circumstance for the people of God, the family of God, the redeemed in heaven and on earth, those still here awaiting his return. I think we can even hear in these words the glory of the Great Commission when the Son of the Father in Matthew 28 commanded his people to make disciples of every nation throughout every generation so that God would be Father over the whole family, those in heaven and those on earth, across the whole earth. So here Paul bows the knee before the Father and he prays that God the Father would grant you, church, to be strengthened with power according to the riches of his glory. What a grand and gracious prayer. If we, the church of God, will fulfill the plans and purpose of God, then we will need the strength and power of God. And Paul prays that God will give us strength and power according to the riches of his glory. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Our Father will strengthen us with power according to the riches of His glory. And don't miss the language. It's not simply out of the riches of His glory, but according to the riches of His glory. It's one thing for Jeff Bezos to give you a $100 bill or a $1,000 bill. I don't know if they make $10,000 bills, but a $10,000 bill. It's one thing for Jeff Bezos to give you this money out of the vast riches in his bank account. But it's something altogether if Jeff Bezos gives you according to his riches, proportionate to, if he gives you 10% of his riches, who wouldn't take that? 20%? 30% of his vast riches according to his riches? Beloved, the Father of glory gives to his church not out of his riches. He is not throwing you a bone. But he is giving you according to the glory of his riches. The old hymn writer John Newton put it this way. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Do you go to God the Father that way? Knowing that you can bring large and lofty and grand petitions. Knowing that you can never ask too much. Because he gives according to the riches of his glory. Paul prays to the Father to accomplish his plan by granting strength and power to his people according to the riches of his glory. And Paul prays that the Father would accomplish this plan through the Spirit's power. Through the Spirit's power. So notice in verse 16. Look at verse 16 that this strength and power is granted to God's people through the Spirit in your inner being through the Spirit in your inner being. This transcendent and powerful and glorious God is so near to you, Christian, so near to you that He is in you by the Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you know that? That God is in your heart by the Spirit. 
And there is much that could be said about the Spirit's work in the Christian life, but we would do well to simply remember what Paul has already said in this very letter. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says that the Holy Spirit seals the Christian, literally marks the Christian as authentic and adopted and alive in Christ. And Paul goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance of eternal life with Christ in glory. The Apostle will go on to show us later in this very letter what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. But notice in this particular prayer that the Spirit's power that is in you, verse 17, is in you so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Spirit is, been, has been said to be the shy person of the Trinity, always pointing away from himself to Jesus Christ. And here Paul reminds us that through the Spirit in your inner being, you may have Christ dwell in your heart through faith. It is the Father's plan that by the Spirit's power, the Son may dwell in your hearts through faith. And what does it mean that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith? Well, the sense here is not that Christ will casually come and go. That there will be times in which Christ is with you and times in which Christ is not with you. No, he is not like a friend who comes and goes at dinner time. No, the sense here is that the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, will make a home in you. Will make a home, a dwelling, a permanent abode in your heart through faith. And this dwelling will be rooted and grounded in love. The very foundation of the dwelling is the love of Christ in you. So brothers and sisters, what encouragement to know that the Lord Jesus would dwell in your heart through faith. Your heart that is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can trust it? And yet, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while our hearts suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, Christ lived for us a life that we could never live. And Christ died for us, a death that we all deserve. And Christ rose from the dead for us, proving to us all that his life and death are acceptable in God's sight. That if anyone turns from their sin and comes to him by faith, that the Lord Jesus Christ will forgive their sins. He will remove your wicked heart and he will give you a heart of flesh and he will establish a dwelling place in your heart through faith. So friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, do you have the Spirit of Christ in you? Have you by faith come to Jesus Christ so that he would establish a dwelling place in your heart rooted and grounded in his love for you, a sinner? Come to Jesus Christ. Give your heart to him and he will come and build a, heart, build a dwelling in your heart by faith. The Apostle Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, Christian, may have strength to comprehend. Strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the height and the depth, length and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ comes to dwell in your hearts through faith, and beloved, we grow in our knowledge of the love of Christ by the Spirit of Christ. 
And so that old Presbyterian Charles Hodge once wrote that the indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. A thing of degrees. Christ dwells in us, and yet he can dwell in us more fully. We know the love of Christ, and yet we can grow in our knowledge of the love of Christ more fully. This knowledge of the love of Christ is so intimate that Christ dwells in us by faith. And yet Paul prays that we comprehend this love with all the saints. With all the saints. One author commented that the principal evidence that Christ is truly dwelling in your heart is the presence and the overflow of love in your lives. First love to God, but then love to his people. Love for God and love for his church are among the indelible marks of an authentic Christian. So Paul prays that we would know with all the saints the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Think of the language here that Paul is using, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ that's broad enough to reach every nation, whether Jew or Gentile. The love of Christ that is long enough that reaches back before the foundations of the world that reaches through every generation and into eternity. The love of Christ that is high enough to lift our souls to our eternal happy home. And the love of Christ that is deep enough even to reach down into the grave and raise you from the dead. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide from the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Oh, that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so Paul's prayer reaches its conclusion that the fullness of the Father's plan would work in us through the Spirit's power, rooted and grounded in the Son's passion and love. And all that is left for Paul to do is to break out in praise. Is to break out in praise. So we have in verses 20 and 21 a doxology, the praise of God. And that is the supernatural result of true theology, a right knowledge of God. The more we comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ, the more we are filled with all the fullness of God, the greater our praise of God. And the very first thing that we learn from this closing doxology is that God is able. That God is able, not only able to do all that we ask or think, but able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And is it any wonder then that Moses saying in Exodus 15, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in praises, doing wonders? One of the founders of my seminary alma mater, a man named Sam Patterson, was known for asking the question of pretty much everyone, I think, how big is your God? How big is your God? And I think we would do well to remind ourselves that our God is tremendous. Our God is awesome. And he has done, is doing, and will do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. If he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he with him not give us all things? 
If he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he with him not give us all things? So brothers and sisters in Christ, press on. Keep going to take hold of all the fullness of God because we know that God is able. He is able. And that God has given his own son for us. And he has given us his spirit. And so Paul prays, or Paul gives a praise here to God and he says, this spirit is the power at work within us. And it's surprising to me that Paul does not say the power at work within him. He doesn't say that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within him. He doesn't say that. He says according to the power that is at work within us, his body, the church. And I think here we have a reference back to Ephesians 1 and his prayer here to the power of the Spirit in us is a reference back to the power of the Spirit in Ephesians 1, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is at work within you, Christian at work within you, so that we may walk in resurrection power in life. And we don't have time this morning for a full exposition of the work of the Spirit from Romans chapter 8, but I would encourage you to go home and read and consider and meditate and talk together about Romans chapter 8 and how the Spirit of Christ empowers you, Christian, to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to persevere in the Christian life. Go and read John 14. John 14, where the Lord Jesus Christ promises to send a helper to you. A helper, the Spirit of Christ, that will help you to do what? That if you love him, you will obey his commands. The Spirit of Christ who comes to you to garner in you a love of Christ so that you will obey Christ. And then Christ goes on to say in John 14, that if you love him and obey his commands, that the Father and the Son will come and dwell with you. Go read John 14. Read Romans 8. Talk about it. Consider it this morning and consider the work of the Spirit in the Christian life. And as we do that, beloved, together as a church, we will see that it is God working in us to will and to work, to bring Him glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and even into eternity. And so if any of you ever grow anxious that the church of Christ will somehow fail, just look behind you. Just look around you. Just look to that day that we read of earlier in Revelation 21 and 22 and praise God that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And he's able to do it according to the power at work within us. And so we can sing with a loud voice when on that day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain, he's making all things new. And we shall err, uh, and behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we, the church of Christ, shall err his people be. All glory be to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we bow our knees before you, our great God and Father.
from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory that you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being, so that Jesus Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints here at University Park Baptist Church and around the world what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. We pray that you would do this in us by Jesus Christ and your Spirit. Amen.